Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. Let's uh, turn in our Bibles this morning to Mark 7. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to Him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of His disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and who reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God. Excuse me. Making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him and again said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And what he, and when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. It's the story of the gospel. Here's, a, here's my question as I read through a passage like this. I get to a place where I begin to think, why do I have a, such a hard time believing the gospel? Truly, deeply allowing the gospel to penetrate my, my heart and, and believe the gospel. Believe that Jesus is my righteousness. I read through passages like this, and I begin to ask those questions of myself. We, we sing songs like we just sang, Amazing Grace That Saves a Wretch Like Me. And even as we sing, we're trying to figure out ways to, to build our recognition, to build our significance, to build our own righteousness. 
Even as we sing those words, our our minds and our hearts are, are battling those things. As a church, you know this if you've been here, we talk about the gospel a lot. It's, it's our vision, big picture vision. Our vision is to see the gospel transform everything. But, but for some reason, and, and I don't know why this is, we face times where we forget that it has transformed us. We want to see the gospel transform everything. And there are times where we, we miss out or we, we see, don't see the little, the little picture and, and see that the gospel has actually transformed us and has the power to continue to transform us until we meet Jesus face to face. We, we, we forget that. At times we forget that the gospel has transformed us, past tense. It's made me right with God. Right? It's made me right with God and, and it's provided eternal life for me. And, and that was a long time ago. And now I, I have to live my life in the way that I, I want to live. That, that's another way we, we move in, in a direction away from the gospel. And we forget that the gospel continues to transform us. Not just a moment in time way back when, but it continues to, to be woven through us. We can believe the gospel. We, we can have it penetrate our hearts and our, and our minds. But at times, I think we have gospel amnesia. We have, we have uh, times where we completely forget, constantly acting like we need to build our case for favor with God. Don't we do that? We, we have to build our case for favor with God. Constantly mixing up our external rightness with our internal righteousness. We, we mix those things up. And Jesus confronts that very thing in this passage. In, in this passage that, that, that we just read, Jesus confronts that very thing with scribes and Pharisees. And so very simply this morning, here's what I want us to do. I want us to look at this passage and, and see something that we need to see over and over and over and over again. And that's that our external rightness, our external rightness rejects the gospel. Whether we know it or not, our external rightness rejects the gospel while our internal righteousness uh, proclaims the gospel. Our internal righteousness that comes from Jesus proclaims the gospel or is the gospel. We're told in these opening verses of Mark 7 that, that some Pharisees gathered around Jesus and some of the scribes came down from Jerusalem. And the Pharisees and scribes were what? They were the religious leaders of the day, right? Very well, well, uh, well liked, well respected people. But in, in the gospel accounts, we see them often opposing Jesus, don't we? We, we see this opposition uh, against Jesus and his teaching and the way that he lives. Now, a, a, as an aside, let's not separate those. Let's not separate his teaching and the way that he lives. We, we often do that, right? We, we often come over here and say, I want to live like Jesus lived. I, I want to I do the things he did and love people like, yeah, yeah, he had some teachings, but those were harsh. And so I want to I live out the way that he lives. We, we can't separate those two. And so we have Pharisees and scribes in, in this conversation where they've come and they're opposing what Jesus is, is teaching and the ways that, that he's living this out. Specifically here, we see it 
coming against the disciples who were following Jesus in the way that they were living. Mark tells us that, that, that they saw some of the disciples eating with hands that were defiled or unwashed. So the scribes and Pharisees come and they see these disciples who, who are eating with hands that are unwashed. Right? They, they didn't see the sign in the bathroom that said disciples must wash their hands before returning back to discipleship. Right? They, they didn't see that sign. And so the scribes and Pharisees are, are, are coming against them. Now, if we remember all the way back to our intro in the book of Mark, we, we remember that Mark is writing to non-Jews, probably Roman Gentiles. And we see this kind of evidence in these parenthetical statements throughout this passage where Mark is explaining what is going on. In verse 2, we see that Mark says, Some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. So Mark has to tell his readers what, what he means by defiled hands. He has to tell those who are, are now reading in what that means because they don't have the categories for this ritualistic way uh, of cleaning their hands, how they had to be washed before this and how they had to be washed before they did this and how they, they had to be done a- after this took place. Mark is writing to Roman Gentiles. And so in the process, he, he, he's telling us, a reader from afar, um, what, what we can see. And so he's explaining it to us, and it's helpful. That's why we see this long parenthetical explanation starting in verse 3, where Mark says, You see, guys, Pharisees and Jews hold to these traditions of the elders. These generations of leaders over and over and over have, have built up these traditions. They don't eat unless they wash their hands. If they go to the marketplace or if they go to the mall, if they go to Panda Express at the food court, they, they don't eat unless they wash their hands, which is a really good idea after you've gone to Panda Express at the food court. And so he goes on to explain that, to his reader that there are lots of other traditions that they observe too. That's just one of them. There, there are lots of others. The, the cups that they use have to be washed. The pots and pans, the copper vessels, the, the, the couches, they're, they're OCD. And so they have to wash all of these things to, to a certain way so that it, that it fits all of their regulations. This is all inside information that Mark is giving to the reader. Do you see that? All, all of this is given to the reader so that we can see into what's happening. He's building a case showing us that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jews all lean heavily on traditions. Traditions that they've held on to for generations and generations. And so verses 3 and 4 are given by Mark to help the reader understand what is about to happen. And so he goes on in verse 5, the Pharisees and scribe ask Jesus, why don't your disciples hold to the traditions of the elders, the traditions and the generations of, of leaders before them? Aren't they good Jewish boys? Why aren't they doing what, what, what good Jewish boys do? Why are they eating with defiled hands? They come to Jesus and ask that. Now, what's their concern? What's the concern of the scribes and the Pharisees when they come to Jesus? It, are, are they concerned about the health of the disciples? 
Like we, we, we're, we're really concerned about what's going on. There's, there's some airborne uh, illnesses here that could happen, and we want to make sure that... that uh, no, are they concerned... Uh, let, let's even push that. Are they even concerned about the righteousness of Jesus' followers? Is that why they're going to Jesus to ask these questions? I think what they're most concerned about, and we see this through this text, is that they're most concerned about showing that they're right, aren't they? They're most concerned about showing Jesus who's right, and that's, that's them. We see this in little kids all the time, don't we? We see this happening often in, in little kids. Why doesn't Billy have to look both ways before he jumps out in the street? Right? Why doesn't Susie have to, to clean her room? Now, what's being communicated by kids there? Here, here's what's being communicated. Why aren't Billy and Susie like me? Right? Why, why aren't they doing the things that I know are right and good? Why aren't they more like me? Now, we, we all look at that and we think, oh, that's cute, little kids. Yeah, they do that. Now, let, let, let's bring that into our circles because we do the same things, don't we? we? We do those same kinds of things. Really, it's Memorial Day weekend and they couldn't come to church? It's, 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 it's how they discipline their children. Why don't they discipline their children in the way that, that they should? And what are we communicating when we do that? Why aren't these people more like me? Isn't that right? Why aren't these people more like me? And, and that's exactly what the scribes and the Pharisees are asking Jesus. Why aren't your people more like us people? That's how they said it. If you look in the Greek. Why are the Pharisees and the scribes, um, why, 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 what are the Pharisees and the scribes leaning on here in those kinds of questions? Their own external rightness, isn't it? That, that's what they want. They want to be seen by how right they are. Their own ability to be right, at least in their, their own eyes, as they, they build them themselves up and their own traditions up. And so Jesus calls them out on what they're doing. He calls them out quoting an Old Testament prophet. If anyone calls you out quoting an Old Testament prophet, you should probably listen. And so that's what Jesus does. Isaiah 29, he, he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, you lying actors. So Jesus is calling them. Really harsh language coming from Jesus. And, and he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. He says, this people honors me with their lips. They can say all of the right things. Right? For, from, from the visible external things, it looks as if they honor me, but their heart is far from me. Now, how are the, how are the scribes and the Pharisees fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy here? How, how are they fulfilling that? Why is Jesus calling them out? Uh, Jesus continues quoting, In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Pharisees and the scribes come to Jesus calling out his disciples for not following the rules that they have set up. Do you see that? They're coming to Jesus, calling Jesus' disciples out for, for rules that they have set up. See, the only law in the Old Testament about washing of hands had to do with priests before they entered the tabernacle. Or what you did with your, your hands, how you washed your hands after you had been in contact with bodily discharge. 
Good lessons there. Um, all Those are the only two commands in Scripture about what you do with your hands and how clean they are. Outside of that, the washing of hands before eating was not prescribed by God. It was not commanded by God. These were laws that the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jews are holding to that they had come up with in order to be right. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. And let's say that their original intent was to follow the law of God. I, I think that's probably true. They wanted to follow the law of God. They know the law inside and out, and so they want to follow the law of God. They they know the prohibitions of God's law, and and they want to do that. Their desire is to follow God's law and, and do what was right according to God, but then they pushed it further. And they pushed it out in an attempt to be the best of the best in following God's law. They made more laws so that they wouldn't get close to disobeying God. Do you see that? In an attempt to to follow God's laws, they made more laws so that they wouldn't get close to disobeying the original law that God had set up. we, We all do that, don't we? We all do that in some ways. You may have to think a little bit about how that works out and how that translates for you, but we all do those kinds of things. A few years ago, I read a book, I've talked about this before, I think, about a guy who decides for one year, I'm going to live literally, literally, by the commands of the Bible. And so he sits down with a, a pad of paper and he writes out like 700 commands in scripture that he finds. And he says, for one year, I'm going to live by each of these as best as I, I know how to do in, in the way that God's shown me. And so it's a humorous book. It, it is. It sets out as kind of this humorous take on this. But one of the laws, for, for example, one of the laws that he finds is one of the Ten Commandments not to covet, right? And, and so in his mind, what he needs to do is, is he needs to, to separate himself from anything that he would covet. And so he asks his wife to get up early in the morning before he gets up to get the newspapers from the step, come in, cut out all of the ads in the paper so that he can get up later and read the paper without seeing any ads and being tempted to covet, Okay. So there's a humorous point there and it's funny and you read through this book. We all laugh and we all think that kind of thing is absurd, but we do these kinds of things on a daily basis in in lots of different ways. We know God's word tells us, tells us to do all, all sorts of things. It, It tells us to be sexually pure. So we make up rules about what ratings of movies we can watch, right? Maybe you, you don't do that, but, but that, that's an example. Uh, it, it can have this kind of rating and this rating, but if it's rated this, it, it better be for intense sword battles and, and dragon slangs, and that's all, right? It's got to be for these kinds of things, and we begin to make up laws that, in an effort to keep the laws we know God has for us. You guys tra- tracking with all of that? We, we know the law. And to, to obey that, we, we don't trust ourselves. And so we create other laws so that we don't get close to these laws. Now, don't hear me say that, that trying to guard against sin is wrong. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm not saying, hey, hey, that's crazy. Don't do those kinds of things. It, it, it's good and, and right to have boundaries and guards set up uh, against temptation. That can be a good thing until they become the law. 
that, that we must keep to be right before God. Do you hear that? And, and I think that's where we get into problems, where we begin to create laws outside of God's laws, and those laws become the laws that, that we have to, to do to, to be right before God. Here's a confession for me. Here, here's a way that I do that. It's clear, at least from my reading in Scripture, that we are not to be violent. We're not to act out in, in violence toward other people. Now, we have five boys. And, and so, so uh, trying to apply that to our lives is a little bit tricky at times because anything becomes a gun, right? You, you grab a chicken and you squeeze it hard enough, it's shooting egg bullets, right? Like anything becomes a gun in our house. And so what Kirsten and I have have done. They've never done that, by the way. Um, but we should try that. Um, so Kirsten and I, what, what, what we've done um, is we've tried to work with our boys in avoiding violence. Uh, avoiding violence in the form of, of, of playing as if, acting as if we're, we're shooting people. So, so that's an area that we've just said that's not something we want to do. Well, our boys have Nerf guns. Right? Nerf make, makes all sorts of things. Nerf guns and swords and Nerf guillotines and all these things. But our one rule for our boys is, is that you cannot aim a gun at people or act as if you're going to shoot someone else with these Nerf guns. Now, why have we done that? Is it because these Nerf bullets could slay someone? No. It's not. It's, it's not at all the case. We've made that rule because we don't want to encourage violence that leads to injury, right? Or, or could in, in our minds or our hearts lead to a place of, of thinking about killing or, or death. So here's a question for us as I'm giving. I, I get this. This is a humorous illustration. But I'm trying to bring it in for, for all of us. Is it a sin for, against God for our five-year-old son to shoot our nine-year-old son with a, a, a Nerf dart? Is that a sin? Is it in, like you're reading through Exodus and God tells Moses from the burning bush, thou shall not Nerf gun someone, right? It's not in Scripture anywhere, is it? It's a rule that we've set up. It's a, it's a rule that we've set up to set, set boundaries for our boys in an effort to obey God. So here's my confession. All of that was just a, a good story. Here's my confession. There are times when I see other kids shooting each other, and I have one of two thoughts. Here, here we go. I have one of two thoughts. First, those hellions don't have parents who love God because if they love God, they would be doing the same things that we've set out for our boys to do. It's one thought that comes to mind. The, the second thought that comes to mind is those children are not as good and right as, as my children who are not violently assassinating one another with plush ammunition. Right? So, so those are my two thoughts. The, their parents aren't good and loving God, right? And, and their kids are, are bad kids and, and they're, they're not following the laws of God. Those are my, my two thoughts. Now, that's a humorous story to get us all in the, in the direction of trying to figure out where do we do that in life. We, we do that in all kinds of ways where we've set up rules to help us put, protect us from, from sin. And that rule becomes the rule that everyone has to follow because I'm following it. Do you see? Look at what Jesus says in verse 8. Chapter 7, verse 8. 
It says, you leave the commandment of God and you hold to the tradition of men. And then he goes on in verse 9, he says the same thing. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. You've left and rejected the commandment of God to establish and uphold your own traditions, your own laws, your own external rightness. You've left and rejected God's holy word to set up your own tradition. That, that's a serious indictment, isn't it? Coming from the, the lips of our Savior. You've left God's commands and not just left them, but you've now rejected them. You, you've rejected God's word. Jesus gives us an example of how they've done that. He, he does what he does in these next verses just to show us a way that they've done it. He, he says, hey, look at the fifth, fifth commandment of, of ten. Let's look at number five. Honor your father and your mother. Right? That, that's God's law. And you've set that aside on, on, your, on your own. You've made up laws so that you would be right. You've made up your own laws so that you would be, be righteous in your own eyes. And here, here's the background of this. In this day, it was custom. There was a custom of dedicating your goods, dedicating your possessions, your property to God. So you could say, I vow that this car is God's, right? And, and you do that in life. And you say, this is God's. It's going to be used for the benefit of the, the, the temple and, and, and all of that. But, but here's how this custom went. The, this custom w- would say that until you die, it's still in your possession and you can use it. So what are you doing? You're, you're speaking words to show, yes, this is all about God and His, His, His greatness. And so I'm, I'm giving this over to God, but it's still mine, right? You're, you're calling dibs on your own stuff is what you're doing. Here, God, and, and, and then you bring it back. When all of your possessions are gifted over to God, you have no way of caring for your aging parents. That, that's what Jesus is getting at here. When all of your things are vowed or dedicated over to God, you have no way of using that stuff, your resources, to care for your ailing parents. The custom and tradition was known as, known as Corban, the Hebrew word for offering. And, and, and everyone knew this custom, this tradition, and Jesus calls them out on it. And he says in verse 13, when you push this as your law, you're making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. You've made this up and you're voiding the word of God by by pushing this out. And so in a sense, what Jesus is getting at, he's saying one of the Ten Commandments, you know them, you love them. One of the Ten Commandments is to honor your father and your mother. You know that that's one of them. And you've superseded that law with one that does just the opposite of honoring them. It intentionally neglects them for your own selfish gain. Yeah, you're doing that. That's the word of God, his law. And then Jesus adds to that. That's just an example. Many such things you do. Many such things you do. This is just one of the ways that you leave and reject and and push aside the word of God. Now, what do we learn from all of that? As we think through and and read through this passage, what do we learn from all of that? I think think what we learn is, is this. I already said it, that our external rightness rejects the gospel our our desire to have external rightness to be right in the eyes of people rejects the gospel 
What what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. When we create ways, when we create ways for ourselves to be right, we're just like the Pharisees and the scribes, rejecting the word of God, rejecting the laws of God. When we reject the law of God, we're rejecting the idea that we're sinful. Did you hear that? When we're setting aside and rejecting the law of God, we're rejecting the notion of, the idea of, the the fact that we are sinful. I want us to think through this. Why do we have the law of God? To point us to what? Sin. Right? That, that's why we have the law of God. Romans, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 7, if, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. That's what Paul says. If, I, if, I had, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And so when we reject the law of God, we're rejecting the idea that we are sinful, aren't we? We, we set aside the law of God. I don't need that. Why don't I need that? Because I don't have any, any sin that it needs to point me to. And so in a roundabout way, we're, we're rejecting the law of God and rejecting the idea that we have sin. This kind of thinking rejects the gospel, rejects the need for, our, uh, for the gospel. Our external rightness rejects, pushes against the gospel. And we all do this. We all are at times in this place. In in so many ways, we move in the direction of wanting to be right before God. Wanting to defend ourselves in uh, in front of God. Wanting to defend ourselves in front of others. Moving in the direction of, of following laws that are not commanded by God, but that we've set up. And do you know when we typically do this? Here, here's my observation of my own life. I, I typically do this when I know I'm failing in some other way. I know that I'm failing in, in this thing. I'm sinning in, in, in this way. I'm not living up to the, the law that God's commanded me to, to do in, in this way. So I'm going to create a law over here that takes the, the, the view off of this thing and shows others and, and hopefully, in my mind, shows God that, that I'm better than, than what this is showing. Is anybody else in that boat? You, you get to this place where you're, you're failing over here and so you distract yourself and the, and the eyes of other people and, and what you think are the eyes of God but by, by making laws in other ways so that this one is, is less than. And our external rightness rejects the gospel in that way. Jesus shows us that with the Pharisees and the scribes trying to build their own rightness. But then Jesus pulls a group of people together aside later in this passage. He pulls them aside and he further explains that the external things don't make us clean or dirty. The external things that we do don't make us clean or dirty. He says there's nothing outside of a person that, that if it went into them, it would make them clean or, or dirty or unclean. Or, or here, here Jesus is talking about ceremonially clean, ritually clean before God. Washing your hands or washing a cup before you use it doesn't make you clean. Being right before God is not about the things we do to clean up our act. 
That, that's what Jesus is getting at. And, and then he pulls aside even further with his disciples and he goes into a house. Have you seen that pattern? Every time he goes into a house, something is about to happen. And so he pulls his disciples aside into a house and his disciples don't get it. They don't understand. They ask him to explain it. And so Jesus again explains it in more detail. He says to the disciples in verse 18, whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him. Since it doesn't enter his heart, but his stomach, and then it's expelled. You know what literally is is being said here, right? You're you're eating something, and then the the second step of that is toilet. That's what Jesus is getting at. The external things you accomplish do not win favor with God. The things that you do externally don't do anything with God. They do not win you a relationship with God with God. You're you're not cleansed enough to be in the presence of God because you do some physical thing. And then Mark gives us some commentary. He says, thus he, Jesus, declared all foods clean. That sentence may not mean a whole lot to us, but, but this is significant. The reader looking in to this from the outside is seeing something significant being said. He's showing the reader that Jesus is not concerned about generations of written and oral laws, about dietary restrictions, but he's most concerned about the heart behind it. That's, that's huge. That's huge for Jesus for, for Jesus to be pushing. And, and Mark gives us that commentary. What, what he's saying is all of those things are nothing if the heart behind it is, is rotten. The, the laws that have been made and, and the, the things that have been set in motion for generation and, and generations are, are, are there to point us to our sin. Sin keeps us separated from God, keeps us out of relationship with God. And and now that Jesus is here, that relationship with God is brought about through through him, not through dietary dietary restrictions and and external practices. And so Jesus is saying these are heart issues. These are internal issues. This is not an external thing we're talking about. He he goes on to say the things that come out of a person are what defile him because those things are are springing from a defiled heart. And and he goes on to list all of these things. You remember the the scribes and the Pharisees, the the initial point of contact with, with Jesus was that his disciples hadn't washed their hands. That's what they come with. They, They haven't washed their hands. They hadn't followed the traditions of man. It's clear that, that someone can follow the, the traditions of man and still be wicked, right? Is that true? Is anyone but me awake this morning? Okay. Is it true that we can follow the traditions of man and still be wicked? It is. They're, they're not clean based on their, their following of man's external laws. And, and the proof of, of who they are, clean or unclean, comes from their hearts. Jesus says, out of the heart uh, of a man comes evil thoughts and sexual sin, and, and he rattles all of these things off. He talks through these things in the book of Matthew, doesn't he? And what we, what we see is the Sermon on the Mount. That's, that's a place where Jesus nails this over and over again. He, he states the law in the Sermon on the Mount. You can read it sometime. And then he reveals the heart issue behind that. 
Remember, just ratcheting that up higher and higher, showing the law and then, and then showing the heart behind it. For instance, he says it's true that murder is, is sin, but it's the action of the heart. It's the action that, that comes from the heart, the heart issue of hatred that's pushing that. And so he pushes that even further to, to the heart behind it. All of the external sins come from internal heart issues. And so maybe, maybe this morning you're saying, but my heart is basically good. But I have a pretty, generally speaking, I think I have a pretty soft and, and, and good heart in, in, in this area. Last night my wife and I had a discussion, we'll call it that. Others may call it an argument. Um, we had this discussion and, and through this whole discussion, it was brought to my attention by God and, and, and my wife talking through these things that, that my heart w- was, was wicked, but I was trying to prove that it wasn't. No, you don't understand. My heart, this is what my heart was saying. My, my mouth wasn't saying that, but my heart was, was behind that, right? And so we, we think at times that we have this generally good heart. Jeremiah tells us in in Jeremiah 17 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the the answer there is God, right? The, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts are sick and and wicked and deceitful and they reveal our wickedness over and over and over again. And and I think we know this deep down. And so what we try to do in some way is create ways to be right before God. We know that our hearts are wicked and, and sinful. And so we create ways that we can be right before God. And so what do we need? Because that doesn't work out. I'll just give you the end of that story. What do we need if our hearts are deceitful and sick and there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves clean externally or internally? What do we need? We need something, don't we? We need someone to to come in and, and rescue. Someone outside of ourselves to make us clean. We've seen that external rightness rejects the gospel, rejects our need and our understanding of the gospel. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here with the Pharisees and the scribes and then later with a separate crowd of people and then later in this house with the disciples. It is that while, while our external rightness rejects the gospel, our internal righteousness proclaims the gospel. Our internal righteousness is the gospel. Now here's, here's my question as you're thinking about that, hearing that. Uh, our internal righteousness proclaims the gospel. Are we able to build that internal righteousness? We sit at home, we shut ourselves down, we, we, I'm going to build up my internal righteousness. Are we able to achieve that at all? We're not. Are, are we able to get different hearts Yeah, my heart's wicked and and to the core it's deceitful above all things. Am I able to, to, to get a different heart? We're not. Throughout the book of Ezekiel, you you read that one every morning. Throughout the book of Ezekiel, we, we see that God gives us new hearts. In fact, he says that, that he's replacing our hearts of stone with new hearts. That's God's work. 
Right? You, you don't sit at home and, and muster up some internal righteousness. God's work in you is doing that. So, so we now know on, on this side of the cross and, and because of Scripture, reading through Scripture, that it's because of, of Jesus that we're able to have a right standing with God. Our relationship with God has been broken, and, and we need some right standing with God, and we know that that comes because of Jesus. Our internal righteousness is not our own but it's given to us because of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And and what we have to offer in that relationship is one thing, sin. That's that's our offer. We, We have sin to offer, and that does what? It only separates us further and further from God. And so what do we try to do? We try to build up good things. We try to follow laws that we've created. We, we can even make, make these laws up. Sure, we look at, at the Bible and we say, oh, I'm going to follow those. And then we make other laws up. And, and we know that the state of our hearts is showing that, that flowing from us is, is wickedness and sin. And we know that we need new hearts. And, and, and so w- what do we do? We, we wait for God. We wait for God to do those things. We need new hearts. For, for those of you in the room who would call yourselves believers, th- there's good news here. You've been, you've been given a, a new heart. Maybe you're in this room and you wouldn't call yourself a believer. You, you don't know what that looks like. Here, here's hope for you. God is able to change you and give you a new heart. You, you can stop the, the running and running and running of, of building up laws because God is the one who's doing that. Let me just talk through this real, real quickly. God requires righteousness. What he requires is right here righteousness. And, and what we do, our, our sick and, and deceitful hearts place us over here separated from God forever, right? And, and so here's what we try to do in this place. We try to build up as many things as we can to get to God. I'm going to set up these laws and I'm going to show God how righteous I am so that he will then bring me into his family. Adopt me as a child because I've shown him how how good I am because I'm following my own laws. Those laws reject the gospel. They reject our need for the gospel. And here's what happens. Jesus steps into the middle and and he takes on our sin and he gives us righteousness. He gives us access to the Father. He gives us a relationship to the Father, adopting us as sons and daughters. Nothing that we've done. This filth in the middle is nothing. Nothing. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For our sake he made him, speaking of Jesus, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God God placed Jesus in the middle to be our sin so that we would become his righteousness. Jesus took on our sin and, and we gain his righteousness. Is it, is it our righteousness? It, it's not. It, it, it's, it's his righteousness that has been given, imputed to us. Paul tells us in, in Philippians 3, he says this, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is Paul. 
a guy who's following all of the laws and he says, I don't have a righteousness that comes from myself. I, I can try, I can build up all these things. I don't have a righteousness that comes from, from myself or, or even from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. There are times when we have gospel amnesia, don't we? Where we forget our need for the gospel, constantly acting like we need to build our case to win favor with God, constantly mixing up our external rightness with our internal righteousness. Mixing those things up. The problem that the Pharisees and the scribes had is the same problem that we often have. Thinking that we can earn the favor of God by doing things, doing better. I'm just going to try a little harder, live a little better, follow these laws a little more, and, and I'm going to achieve what, what, what I want. I'm going to achieve a, a relationship with God, and that's rejection of the gospel. And so here's, here's where we, we stop this morning. If, if that's where you land... If you land in a place where you've been working and working and working to achieve the favor of God, we, we, need to, we need to respond. And here's how we respond. We respond confessing that that's sin. We, we respond speaking to God. God, I know that my, my, my attempts to build my righteousness is sin. And then we ask for forgiveness. And we know Scripture tells us that if we, we seek forgiveness, He's faithful to forgive so we ask God to, to forgive us. And, and, then, and then we ask God, we plead with God to help us in repentance and turning from sin. That, that's our response this morning. If, if you look back at your week, your month, your life, and you think I've done a lot of things to try to build my righteousness, I'm most concerned about little things like washing my hands to be clean before God, then, then there needs to be confession of sin asking of, of forgiveness and, and pleading with God to help in repentance. That's where we, we land this morning in response. I pray that that's our heart. I pray that that's my heart. So I'm reminded of it in so many ways in, in my life. And, and that's a grace of God, isn't it? Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you this morning. Um, we come to you this morning confessing Confessing ways that we have tried to show you our righteousness. Made laws to follow so that we can win your favor. We confess that as sick and twisted. We, we confess that even now this morning. Father, we know that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And you do that through your son, Jesus, who paid the penalty of our sins, paving the way for us to be in relationship with you. And so we ask this morning for forgiveness for the, for the ways that we've tried to build up our own righteousness. We do that even now this morning.
And God, we, we want to turn. You've given us new hearts. Those who believe, you've given us new hearts. And we know that. We know that that comes from you, but we still battle sin and we wrestle with it. And so we plead with you this morning for help in turning from that sin. Do that even, even now this morning, Father, we, we plead with you to help us to turn. Show us where we need to turn and then help us turn. God, our hope is in your Son. Your Son who stood in our place, becoming sin, so that we would be become righteous. That's not a work that we've done. That's a work that that you've done through your Son. And so we respond this morning in praising you. And bowing our knee to you in worship of who you are and providing salvation. We praise you, God. Amen.